0: Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have a repeat, repeat, repeat return guest, Fred Copestake, founder of Brindis, author of Selling Through Partnering, and author of his new book, Hybrid Selling. Today, we're going to find out what is hybrid selling. We're going to discuss it, pull it apart. We're going to dig into why Fred wrote this book at this particular time and what have been the catalyst for change. Because being a salesperson in, in the post-pandemic era and with the level of sophistication and complexity of buyers requires you to be quite sophisticated. There's a process that um, Fred has developed called Evolve, which we're going into, which looks at how you can identify what's absolutely essential within an organization and then drive virtual selling, manage opportunities and focus particularly on the middle of the funnel, which is terribly neglected, then how does the salesperson lead, build value and then expand and grow uh, accounts? Because in this day and age, it really is a bit of, Having to herd cats, play with technology, manage different expectations. It's very, very complex. So,
1: Fred, welcome. No, thank you very much. Cracking intro, apart from the pulling apart bit. I'm not quite sure about that. But then, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I pretty much expected that. So, there we go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'll be left with at least one limb. Um,
1: Brilliant bargain. So t-
0: t- tell me this: what is hybrid
1: selling? First of all, how do you define it? Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one because there are various definitions, aren't there? Often, I'll ask, I'll, I'll repeat the question back to people and say, well, "What do you think it is?" And, and they'll say, "Well, it's it's kind of when you're doing stuff virtually, isn't it?" And I'll say, "What like virtual selling? That's already got a name and is already <laughs> a thing, and which is very much part and partial of hybrid. So that is part of it. Some people say, "Well, it's to do with where you." It's like hybrid meetings, isn't it? So you might do stuff at home, you might do stuff in the client's office, you might do stuff online. and I'll say, well, that's what salespeople have always done, to be honest. So that's nothing new. For me, the hybrid piece, it's like hybrid is a mix. It's bringing things together, and so we need to have this mixed approach using a bunch of different ways to be effective in selling to have the impact that we need. That, that's the hybrid bit now. And it's just that we stimulate the conversation by using the word hybrid in pretty much everything. So
0: (laughs) So to deviate from plan straight away,
1: this
0: (laughs) (laughs) this really opens up an interesting line of conversation around the makeup of good hybrid sellers. Because it sounds to me like a fundamental requirement is adaptability and a high tolerance for change
1: when we get into why I wrote it, it's to do with change and the speed of change increasing. But to think about what that new seller is going to be like, and for me, this is about kind of future-proofing and making sure that we're having salespeople fit for the job and continue to be relevant. The analogy that I often use is, if you can imagine that you're playing a drum, but you're just sat there with one drumstick tapping away on a little snare drum, it's not really a very good performance. You know, you, you might get away with it, and actually, I think that's what quite a lot of selling has been like—people doing just enough to get away with it. But really, if you want a performance, you want this full drum set with all the different drums that you play, and you have to be able to hit the right thing at the right time to really make sure what you're doing is the top performance that people want to people want to listen to, and the rest of the band want to play along with. If you like, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you really want to take that that analogy to to the to the extension, it's a uh, a few years ago I went to see uh, went to see Guns and Roses in concert. Mm-hmm. But it was more the support group, which were fun. It was it was Motley Crue. Right. Okay. It's like the drummer is Tommy Lee. He's the star of the show, isn't he? And, and he, it's quite funny because his drum kit was right in the center of the stage. Not at the back, like most drums. <laughs> center of the stage. Big, big kind of illuminated circle around him. <laughs> Huge drum solos <laughs> in every song. And look, it was all about him. But it, the, the performance was mesmerizing. But then at one stage, his drum kit started moving. It's like going side to side, and it's going up the sides of this circle where his lights were, till he basically bent up and right upside down. He's drumming upside down, biggest drum kit in the world you've ever seen. Everyone's just like, "Wow, wow!" (laughs) You know, it was very, it was very cool. It's like, "Oh, is it?" But again, the analogy for sales goes with this because he got to the bottom. It was like, "Oh, he's so cool. He knows his stuff." But he went and he got somebody from the crowd, and he strapped them in next to him, and he did the same again. And I think that is actually, for my ears, it's kind of a funny analogy. It's quite visual. I Google it and you'll see the photos. They're amazing. But it's like that. We've got to play all of this stuff, but we've got to do it with the customer strapped in beside us to be doing the right things and playing the right tune for them. And then it's going to be a big ask for salespeople. There's a lot of stuff when we start to assemble out on kit. Right. Okay. So this then builds
0: on the whole theme of selling through partnering which is a philosophy very close to my heart. So let's then take this a little bit further, because there's a question. I'm after a little bit of Mystic Meg from you. Coming down the pipe, what do you reckon sellers and managers need to be ready and prepared for? Because their customers are going
1: to be going through some challenging times, I would think there's a couple of things it's I mean yes there are challenging times because of change so people that can get a handle on change which is way easier said than done, they are going to be interesting valuable relevant people so if you can start to get your head around it and you're totally equipped you've got your drum kit you've got all the tools and the ways to be able to handle that and to talk about it and to guide and help customers with it so that you're adding value at every interaction that you're having with people that will be where interesting salespeople are going, in my humble opinion. That's where, because otherwise, you know, we know that customers are wanting to do stuff on their own. They're kind of trying to self diagnose. They don't want to speak to salespeople because they're just not seeing anything from it, apart from the ones who are excellent at what they do and bring something to the party. So you've got to bring something to the party.
0: There's a real problem. There was a study that I saw yesterday. I think it was a Gartner study, and it's saying that 43% of B2B buyers want a uh, seller-free buying experience. But those same buyers suffer from a much higher level of churn because they bought the wrong thing because they haven't had a conversation with another human being. So it's a really interesting question because I feel as a profession, we have a responsibility to rebuild trust. We have a responsibility to have buyers feel safe again. And they don't. Then the the reason is leadership in so many vendors is so self-centered and so profit orientated, and the customers have forgotten afterthought. Employees are churning. You know, we've got this great resignation. It's it's not because they were looked
1: after. You know, great yeah. managers are not suffering from the same level of churn. It's I mean I guess customers aren't wanting to have the conversation because they're not getting anything out of it. And it's not like people are getting any less busy. So why do I want to spend time with somebody where I'm going to get nothing from it at all? I might as well crack on myself. And if it goes right, great. And if it doesn't, okay, but it's going to be no different. (laughs) There's kind of almost no risk. I just don't want to spend time with people not bringing anything to that.
0: Right. So what's the advantage of being a genuine hybrid seller in the modern age that you can bring more
1: value to your customers and your prospects along the way? Let me look at the model. What the, the evolved model helps us do is to pick out those parts of sales that help you make a difference in different elements of selling because you know, we know selling is complex. I mean, I'm talking B2B here. That's that's where I tend to focus. And it's complex, and there's a lot of stuff involved in it. And again, we expect people to go in and try and impress by tapping away on a little drum. And it's just like, well, no, I'm not gonna watch your performance, it's rubbish. So by having a good solid foundations, you know, the essentials. Well, that's selling through partnering skills. I mean, that's, that's where the next evolution is. And of course, I'm going to say that, but I believe it is. Collaborative selling.
0: You have entire sales floors of people playing the recorder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is the squawkiest, <laughs> horrible <laughs> list ever.
0: Exactly. It's, it's the, the worst sound that the universe has ever created. Yeah. Yep. And with hundreds of them doing it down the phone. But that, that's, that's what it feels like. You know, when I'm on the receiving end of these calls, It's very rare that it feels like my time is even respected, let alone that they have my best interests at heart. So with hybrid selling, how can we as sellers show up and be more valuable? How can we use technology, partnerships, alliances, networks? How can we use all of these systems, technologies,
1: processes to help us show up and be better? For the customer? Yes. First bit, understand that you have to. That isn't a flippant facetious answer. I mean, some people just do not get that this stuff is so important and they're not realizing why it's so hard to talk to people because you're not bringing anything to it. So yeah, what can you do? Well, you can have a solid basis in understanding what sales is about. You know, and it's been trained a long time, but it's ask before tell. To have that basic kind of ability to ask decent questions, to understand at least what the customer is trying to achieve, and then we can move on to the next level and actually add some sign of service to that that conversation by helping them to think. You know That really should be why we're asking questions, not to tick off a ban checklist. I know that one's going to get you. <laughs> but <laughs> to help a customer think, that's why we're asking questions now. It's not necessary to prescribe things. Yeah. Then it's complex you know, decision-making and understanding the who's who, understanding what information we've got, being the person that's going to collate that Understand what next actions are, drive mutual action plans, then again, yes, we're gonna to have to do that in all sorts of different formats, whether it's virtual, whether it's live, whatever. That's just ways of communicating. And we've got to be comfortable with those. Everyone's got different ones. Well, let, let
0: me just make a really halfway through. Let me make a really important point here. Your customers are using different media. They are consuming content through different channels. And if you're not meeting them where they are and you're trying to get them to meet you where you want them to, you're going to be really disappointed because that's a matter of random chance or someone who is actively looking for you and all of your competitors. There's a much greener pasture in the untrammeled area meadow where there is no competition because they're all doing what you're doing at the moment. Uh, They're not hybrid selling. They're not using multi-channel approaches. They're not using alliances and partnerships. Now, one of my favorite stories over the last couple of years was my pal Graham, who took a $5 million deal and took it to $100 million in 12 months simply by working the partner network and getting to present at the board a BP. Beautiful piece of salesmanship, but using multiple approaches. Now, he, he is a, you know, a proper old dinosaur. You know, he's, he's my age, proper curmudgeon. In yeah. fact, he's older than me. Yeah, he is. He's a fossil. I'm only a dinosaur. He's yeah, he's, he's already uh, calcified.
1: But it is. okay going to go back to banging the drum analogy yeah. more. That's <laughs> getting a bit too <laughs> Sorry, different. Give up on the drum spread, Come up with something different. No, But it's, yeah, yeah, if they want to deal on video, deal on video. Don't say, well, I don't like video because I don't think I can get my points across. I want to see you face to face. Well, good luck. I'm not going to see you face to face. I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. They want to communicate at weird times a day. Well, then you send video. <laughs> and if you're going to help them by sending stuff, if they like WhatsApp, okay, you send it on WhatsApp. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, back in the day when we've done sales training and you ask, to tell people to, you know, try to, to adapt your approach so it's most comfortable for them. It's just an extension of that. It's just the media that we're doing that in. Well, the, the, the survival of the fittest is the one who can adapt best to
0: the current environment. Our ancestors were tiny little shrews. That survived the you know nuclear winter after the meteor struck. And for those of you out there, the world isn't 6,000 years old. Please write your complaints. <laughs> oh
1: no, no, I well, well, I've I've lost it. half my audience. No, well, the webinar I build around this also <laughs> has the same reference <laughs> that it's survival pitch. So you might not be the most intelligent salesperson, you know, you might not be the strongest product. But if you're the most adaptable and you can get in front of people, you know, play that right tune for them and impress them by almost how you're doing things, as much as what you're doing, That that's an element of hybrid selling. And these different skills which you can pull in that have been around for a bit a lot. And if you read the book, you'll go, Fred, you've not really invented anything there. No, I haven't. I've collated, I've curated, and I've put things into a structure to say, this is what you need to be doing. And this is why. Well, that that's why I wrote it. And well, I actually tried to write it in a really understandable way, with a little story at the beginning with these two sales guys, one who gets it, one who doesn't. And then luckily, the one who gets it pulls his mate along. Uh, Harry and Larry. It's uh... <laughs> Well, no, it's yeah, storytelling. It you know, works as well. So.
0: <laughs> it, well, it does. But I'm really curious whether sales is really playing a game of catch-up because marketing has been very data-orientated for quite some time. And salespeople need to become data-orientated. You need to understand the data that matters, though. Um, and I'm more interested in the small data than the big data more often than not. I'm interested in the nuances and the, uh, the polar ends because I've learned so much more from people who are really pissed off than people who are mildly happy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, again, you know, look, look at one of the elements, so, you know, one of the drums, if you like, one of the bits that we play, the opportunity management framework where we're understanding information. Information, and it's mainly about people. Who are they? What are, they what are the drivers? What are the motivators? Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, no, exactly. So it's, you know, I, I talk about sort of three levels of data, and it's like kind of, okay, so what's the, if, you, if you're into looking at an opportunity, right, what's the opportunity? So who are they? What's your objective? Who's the competition? How warm do we think we are with them at the moment? Okay, so we kind of look at that top level. Then we start thinking about how can we generate actions to move us towards where we want to be? Well, actually, the actions are broadly going to be around the people who are making the decision, the decision-making unit. That's growing. We know it is. There are a number of people. There's not going to be one person. And we know salespeople are still kidding themselves. Oh, my best mate. He's the champion. They make the decision. They do everything. Yeah, good luck with that. There's Does anyone actually believe that shit? I seem to have trained quite a lot recently. <laughs> 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 They're not listening. No. No, that's unfair. No, that's being fair. I think people vastly underestimate how many people are involved. But then it's the amount of information we need to know about them. Yeah, so yeah, who are they? What's their position? What level of influence do they have? now? For influence, is influence on the decision. Do they like us? Do they dislike us? Yeah. How strong is that influence? So yeah, they might dislike us, but actually the influence isn't that high. They might love us, but again, it's not that high either. So we try and work that out. Yeah, what's their style of communication, their personality style? What's their win, personally? Are you what's tracking the KPI engagement? Business? At the moment, I'm just trying to track, do we even know these things?
0: <laughs> okay. For those of you out there, go on to a website called Ebster, E B for Bertie, S for Sugar, T for Tommy, A for Alpha, Ebster.com. And you can get the freebie version. Uh, and you just run it against your CRM and it will spit out where there are glaring gaps. And it's a truly depressing exercise, highly recommended. Ah. And then drop me a line and ask about a red
1: report. <laughs> See, I would argue it's not depressing. It's slightly or very worrying, but it's also a good thing. Because now you're talking about known unknowns. I don't know this stuff. I feel uncomfortable. I don't know it. Because how can I realistically progress this sale? Guess what my next action is, is to go and find this stuff out. Because I can't even build a proper set of actions until I know this information. Now I'm building the information, I can use this data to properly say, right, okay, now it's becoming clear what we need to do to help these people, to move them forward, to move us forward. That's, again, that, that's not new. It, I haven't well, invented that. I, think I got really trained important. that 20 years ago. But
0: <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't it's mean really people important. are
1: doing
0: it. <laughs> it's, it's really important to point out that the behavior of ignoring the middle of the funnel is often a function of how you set up the CRM. So for leaders and managers, this one's for you. If you notice in the CRM, when someone puts in a record, you start asking them questions. But the first question you ask, more often than not in the CRM, is expected close date. So their attention has been focused exclusively on filling the pipeline, more dials, more emails, more demos, more proposals. And now you shift them to the end of the funnel, and there's always the emphasis on close this month, but in doing that, the attention is taken away from nurturing the value in the funnel. And if you are seeing the symptoms that at the end of the month or the quarter, you find yourself behind your number, and then you find yourself pulling forward deals by discounting and offering uh, very favorable terms then you genuinely have a problem, and it's your management of and your, uh, what you're measuring that is driving unintended and undesirable behavior. And it's easy to fix, um, but it does require a shift in your focus. And the problem is that when your imagination is out of focus, your eyes won't see.
1: Yeah. I mean, while we're giving shout-outs to people, this is, this is why I love BoxStep. So that buyer enablement platform. You know, yeah. I think you know Kevin anyway. He sports yeah. a similar haircut to us. And if you say to him, oh, it's like a CRM, isn't it, Kevin? He's like, no! <laughs> no, but, but and, and for the very reasons that you've just cited, he because, because that's what CRMs do, unless you're properly configuring them, which no one does. So use something that is properly configured to get you thinking about the people and the relationships. And what it does brilliantly and very graphically, because so we think visually, yeah, It helps you work out you know what is the status of the relationship with the person? Are they your champion? Are they a key player? Do they own the business problem? What's their buying role? Yeah, What's their opinion to change? What buying power have they got? How are they easy to get to meet with? It prompts you with questions and lets you fill in these things to give you little indicators as to really how warm you are to this stuff. So rather, yeah, yeah, I know them really well. It's like, well, actually, this stuff isn't saying you do. But it prompts you. It drives the right behavior to help the buyers. So that's why he is, and rightly so, passionate about it being buyer enablement, helping these guys to do their job, wishes is hard. That's why I like that one, and I integrate it into stuff I do. Yeah, I'll
0: take a deeper look. I, I saw it years ago when he was first developing it.
1: It's very cool. It's it, Also, he talks about, what well, I would say mutual action plans. That also winds him up. <laughs> I got it. We have a bit of fun with him, but you know, outcome enablement plans where we can start to use the tool to build what's going to need to happen to get the outcome. Mm-hmm. And you're calling it a closed plan. Same reason that CRM doesn't work. It's the wrong language. Yeah, so the outcome yeah. enablement, how are we going to get the people the stuff they're looking to do? Who's going to do what? Let's put the resources next to the stage. And what it geniusly <laughs> does, it puts the people who are going to do it onto the plan. So they have their, their face in their little green circle until it goes beyond the date that they should have done their thing. They're, they're, they're in a red circle. <laughs> so the psychology of this is pretty cool. But this allows you to actually share this live document with the customer. So, yeah, you're using it to track your own knowledge and information and data and getting the stuff to help the sales. But then it helps you share that stuff, collaborate. It's a collaborative tool, online,
0: well, live. Um, that's really caught my attention. So definitely going to be on to Kevin. I've uh, just dropped him a line. So <laughs> they strike while they the um, So, OK, so how do managers need
1: to evolve in this hybrid era? Well, they've got to support. You know, they, they've got to, again, understand. They've got to understand that what their team is doing, the performance isn't good enough. It's not something that people are going to pay to go and see, going back to our you know, rock, rock star analogy. So they've got to work out that we need to up the game big time and then we've got to make sure that these people are utterly supported to be the rock stars if you like and uh, the the language is a bit weird but yeah they they, they're gonna have to have all of these things tommy lee can rock up and do that thing he doesn't build the drum kit himself he doesn't sell the tickets he doesn't sell the t-shirts other people are doing that but he can do his bit right in the center of it really well and that's what's making the whole thing happen so when managers have got Yeah, they've got to support the staff. They've got to to support their staff. They've got to support the the salespeople to do the things that they do. And they are almost uniquely placed to do. Because
0: as I look at the current state of sales, I'm actually really optimistic because it's created the conditions where I think there are a lot of people in the profession who have just become jaded and angry and frustrated with the way the last couple of generations have managed sales. And the the Friedman model of worshipping at the altar of shareholder value, that's taken the focus away from looking after your people. The minute people raise capital, and they go for this triple, triple, double, double, double model. The whole thing changes. The company is a different company four times at, you know, four, at the end of every quarter. And the burnout rate is horrifying. But what's really interesting is you look at companies like Snowflake and uh, various others who've managed to get these incredible valuations Marcus Kirsch talks about them and how powerful their emphasis on customer success is. And I think these hybrid organizations, hybrid selling is a critical component, but unless the CS piece adapts and everything is built around CS, then the churn rate continues to climb. And yeah, fifteen percent means you lose half your customers every three years. That's a massive waste.
1: Yeah, uh, interesting. Again, we're, we are we are on the same page. Much as we try to argue, sometimes it's hard for us to. <laughs> um, no, it's the same. And I, I talk about in the in the, the, the section of the book about expanding. Yeah, there's the account management stuff which good salespeople need to get their head around. But I do. I call out customer success management and saying, look, we've got to understand this stuff. We we, we are talking about outcomes, aren't we? Actually, I made this massive assumption through the book that that's what you're trying to deliver on. <laughs> yeah, if we are, then we've got to deliver on that. Let's look at how customer success people think. If you're fortunate enough to have the department brilliant, but if not, you've got to understand it and start be using some of these some of these techniques, some of these the thinking. I then go even further. And you mentioned it. Whilst doing all that, let's not neglect self-management. And I'm not just talking about being an ultra productive bunny that sort of gets up as a cold child, does all that sort of thing. I mean, if that's your thing, great. But we have to look after people. We have to look after people, you know, this burnout, this stress, this stuff that's going on, you know, with real life human beings. We've got to take responsibility for this stuff. We've got to help them take this, take it seriously, I think. But um, so, I, I wanted to use, I w- yeah, I want to use that.
0: We're not running a, a kindergarten or a holiday camp. You know, they
1: get, get paid good money. Yeah. Yeah, throw more tech at them. Why? The best bit of tech is already uploaded. It's inside their head now. If you're going to a not use that properly and fry it, well, yeah, good luck to you. You know, I mean, that's a bit precinct, But yeah, we we do have to look after people. Because we'll get more out of them, actually, and it's just a nicer place to be. And that's not me being all kind of woo and stuff. It's just
0: you're not the soft stuff. Is the hard stuff, and yeah. it makes all the difference. You know, the st- staff who feel loyal and engaged uh, bring their friends into the team, give discretionary effort, produce more, and make you more money, and get you to keep customers for longer. What's right? You know, w- there's nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, all of that is deeply desirable. Just one quick question, because one beef I have with a lot of leadership is the shiny object syndrome and the (laughs) amount of money that is spent on technology that seems to just drive more noise and crowd the market with just obstruction and adds no value. So my question to you, in the modern day, what's the minimum level of technology apart from obviously, the good
1: bit, yeah. that a good hybrid seller needs to have. Good webcam, good audio. And this isn't me being facetious, like, you know, I often can be, because these are our communication tools. If people can't see you, if, certainly if they can't hear you properly, then the brain switches off quickly. So at that very fundamental level, one of the basics, that is still tech, and that's something we should take seriously. Again, and like, I do talk to a lot of people. I think, hang on a minute, you're, you're selling here. I can't hear you properly. I can't really see what you're doing. This isn't good enough. Because you might have a super spangly proposition, it just doesn't look very good from where I'm sat with my, in my first impression. So I would actually start at that basic level. Yeah, yes, CRM. You know, let's not get back because it, we we do need to capture data and information, but I run it configured or certainly you know set up along with something like that to be doing something to help us in the way that we are thinking about how how we sell to people. Now then, it starts to depend a little bit on the role because some people are are having to do a reasonable amount of heavy lifting, if you like. I tend, me personally, I tend to work with people in more traditional areas who are not trying to do quite as many numbers. And again, I know you're going to push back on why do people try to do so many numbers anyway, but aren't doing as as much outreach to go after new logos, if you like. So if if they're then in that kind of position, well, what can we do to do? to do that heavy lifting piece so that we can then get them with their enhanced audio, their enhanced video, their enhanced thinking to have decent conversations with people. So anything that, that helps with that, that's the kind of the the minimum I would say. Okay. You know, can I live without having a something that's firing out a million tweets and LinkedIn messages and stuff? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, actually. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff, I think that's the distraction. That's where the noise comes from. A good quality conversation with the right kind of people. Anything that helps with that, yeah.
0: The last couple of years uh, since I left the franchise, I've spent looking for ways to f- fulfil my de- my destiny, which is to do less but better on purpose. <laughs> and one of my favourite lines from John Bishop, who's uh, describing lying on the couch and saying, "I've taken, you know taken fuck all to uh, doing fuck all to uh, a new level." So I feel that that's my job in sales. If you can find ways to double the money for half the work, and that's my mission. So I'm always looking for ways to do that. And what's fascinated me is how much more production I can generate out of a single human being with a little bit of intelligent application of technology that drives the desired outcome. It doesn't just drive activity. and I think far too few uh, sellers, let alone managers or leaders, are spending time trying to work on the outcome that they intend and working backwards from there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So mapping tools and planning tools, I'm really curious, uh, you know, even if it's just a you know, back of a napkin, what are the tools that you're advocating hybrid sellers use on a regular basis to help them manage and coordinate their activity?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I said boxed out. I, I include that in my own training. I don't want to turn into a into an advert <laughs> for that. No, but, but, the, p- but people but need does, to know sure what their options a, are in terms of a stack. Or, so. it, it, it does a lot of that stuff. You know, yeah, people have got to get know their way around LinkedIn. Do they need LinkedIn Navigator? For me, the jury is out on it, but I am still personally understanding the full potential of that. Now, what I'm starting to learn is actually it's got a huge, huge potential, if you're using it properly and if you're having the discipline to do it. Because we could, we could, we could start making a shopping list and people could run out and get all these things. But that's just like, again, going back to my, my drum analogy, putting all these drums in there and sitting down and just smashing them all randomly. Again, that'll be worse than the recorder class, you know. <laughs> it's playing them with a deliberate intent and reason as to why am I hitting that piece of kit at that time? Why am I doing that thing? So yeah, for me, I'm going to come back to the structure piece. It's, you've got to have a good solid foundation. As you say, know what you're doing, then start adding the bits that are going to help you. I do think we can do stuff quite simply. We might be sort of falling for a lot of the hype around, oh, you're never going to live with that. He's never going to live with that. He's never going to live without this. I mean, go, go and investigate all the sales tech. Is it 1,500 pe- pieces of well, just sales there, tech at the moment? And there's 8, 8, 8, roughly 8,000
0: 8, in Martech, about 1,500 yes. in sales enablement. Uh, but only 183 in the channel, which is really, really interesting. And again, Salesforce has spotted you because you're the only one playing in multiple layers in the channel. Everyone else hasn't spotted the opportunity that they have. And that's going to be really, really interesting.
1: It would be remiss of me at this stage not to mention my mate, Rocky. You've heard me talk about Rocky, my my little chatbot that I, I use. No, I'm not going to be facetious. I think this is a really good piece of kit. So Rocky.ai is, a, is an artificially intelligent chatbot. So it gives you coaching 24-7. Right. Is it as good as a human? No. But is it as well as a human? Yes. And how many coaches do you know that you can put on your bedside table so that first thing in the morning you talk to them? Because Rocky asks you questions. You yeah. answer. You can actually talk. Actually, I, I tend to text. But it asks you a question, and it asks you another question based on the answer you've given. And the conversation with Rocky is better, a lot better than with some people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so first thing in the morning, and then- Rocky.ai. An and as yeah. an evening reflection, those things to get your mindset right. So again, I'm back to that bit of tech inside the head. It's it's a really cracking little bit of kit, because you can pick your growth path in it. So I tend to have it on purpose at the moment well i flip between purpose and discipline um but you can have, you know you can have wellness you could have when you remember skill. yeah <laughs> what i do is um no but you you pick the growth path and then you're answering these questions so again it's i mean i know you talk about journaling being one of the best things you can do it's just another way of doing that it's just an electronic way of doing it and <laughs> that sounds like a much more phone interesting way of doing it. actually oh it's it's right and you can actually talk to it He's now speech you yeah, know right. physical speech recognized um and it gives you little reminders, and as you're as you're answering the questions, that it's using AI. So it's not a planned it's not a planned conversation. It's using machine learning. It will then throw up, a, oh, you might want to have a little read of this thing. There is a bit vested interest in this. I have to complain. Rocky has read my book, <laughs> so you can take the collaborative selling growth path and just use that. And that's why I'm involved in my own training. How do you it'll... mean,
0: Rocky has read your book? The founder, I...
1: no, the the robot. <laughs> how, how, how has uh, maybe, maybe been i've program. personalized rocky a bit too much here no so you can go in and as rather than pick wellness or clarity or growth or whatever yeah. you can pick collaborative selling as a growth path so in right. the morning rocky will ask you questions about how is your brain around adapting this new modern style of sales and then in the evening it'll be asking you similar stuff how you've been doing the stuff that you said so it's pulling the information it's pulling the questions it will ask and it's pulling the snippets of recommendations a lot of them will come from Sanitary Partner Skills or from elsewhere. It's got the whole of the internet to pick from. So, so what's pick, pick oh, it
0: that, It's like the red herring, but I'd be really curious what the purpose of that, the data that they're collecting is and how they plan to use
1: that because that could be really, really fascinating. I'll introduce you to Harry. Yeah, please. Not That's not Harry from the book. That's Harry who's the founder of Rocky. Okay. No, I was getting a bit confused. Yeah, yeah there, no, but... I'd, love,
0: I'd love to have a chat. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to uh, promote something, but because I think it's a really very powerful tool and I'll give you a context in which we were uh, using it. One of my clients is a channel manager and he's a very successful channel manager for uh, one of the uh, large SaaS companies. And he's moving relatively soon, but he wants to make sure he leaves his partners who have just each of them recruited his special forces partners. Each of them have recruited salespeople. So he wants to onboard them. So he has an onboarding process, but we've now given him mobile practice. And there are three ways that he's looking at using it, which is really interesting. So the first thing is he'll introduce an idea, a concept, and then have them upload a video about how they feel about it. Then you've got that collective view. Then there's an opportunity to practice a skill before the training, because the brain hates unfinished business. So you, you first of all, get people to upload the car crash. Then you put them through the training with exactly the same instructions, but now they can see the progress. Yeah. I think it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah. What and a lovely,
0: it, it, clever way of using technology to make and, makes life easier. And that and takes hours and hours, back.
1: doesn't it, Marcus? Hmm? And that takes hours and hours, doesn't it? Eight minutes. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> Eight minutes to do that for one exercise. And you can personalize it for every single one. The best thing is I, as the trainer, can see how Jim or Fred or Tom are putting the coaching into practice. And then I can coach them on coaching. So I can shadow coach. And I can create this set of repositories of uh, best practices. It's amazing what's out there. I I mean, this stuff 20 years ago, I'd be in Mustique by now.
1: This does another thing for me. And it's something I, I... I can get quite upset about. I'll try not to. Keep, keep keep the podcast on a good level. But it's when somebody then turns around, "Why well, I've got time to do that?" You really have not got eight minutes to invest in yourself to be better at what you do as a so-called profession. When I hear that, it really starts to break. But then maybe that's data in itself, and it's like, okay because. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again this is really interesting
0: because i suspect there will be a lot of sales people who will leave the uh, leave the profession because they will be overwhelmed by the amount of technology and it's interesting i, I did post a poll on linkedin this week what percentage of your business is uh, in the hands of baby boomers 55 year old men uh, who are due to retire and 19 and 30 percent, so 20, 31 uh, percent of the, re- uh, the revenue was in the hands of baby boomers. Now they're leaving soon with all of their knowledge, and those relationships will disappear with them if you're not planning that succession today. The loss of knowledge over the next five years will be massive. Rolls Royce and Lockheed and all of those. In the 1970s, in order to keep, compete and keep talent, gave really good superannuated pensions. So no one left. Now all those people are leaving, and they're retiring because they've earned it and they've got a great pension. But yeah. my suspicion is those sorts of companies are going to be picked up and uh, pulled to pieces, or they'll be owned by Tata or a Chinese conglomerate.
1: But the tech. So it's interesting that we've gone down the route of tech to make people better tech to share, tech to do the human stuff. Mm. And for me, that is the best use. And if that's where we can take in, I don't know if that's because it's us <laughs> and that attracts our attention. I don't know, but I, 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 those things those things do harm me. It's like, you know, having a chat with a robot, using these video things, it's all about getting people better to do the bit that people have to do with people. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say that phrase, but this human-to-human piece is always going to be important but let's do it as best as we possibly can.
0: But there there are so many managers out there that would rather hold on to command and control rather than make the time during the day which they're already uh, having to sacrifice because they're being interrupted 16 to 20 times a day. And at those moments, they have a choice. They can either stop and think, ask a question, and coach the person, Or they can answer the question, they can take the problem away themselves, and they can become a bottleneck, or they can disempower their people by not empowering them to make the decision themselves. Now, there is no downside to coaching in the moment on the job when someone needs it and helping them to solve their own problem, even if it doesn't work. They've gone through the process and they feel ownership.
1: Yeah, you just made me think of another thing, another, another massively innovative bit of tech. It's like, I've got it on my computer, it's this like diary thing where you can put blocks in, in different colours. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, I am being perceived, but you can do that to have almost like repeatable weeks where there is a block and the block is, and it's kind of a bit, a bit ironic this, ad hoc coaching. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm planning. Well, Winston Churchill did that with speeches, didn't he? He's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I'm planning my ad-libs. Um, yeah. but, like the, but I will put this side, you know, no one can touch that. It's almost like a new version of gold type. It's, I'm available to coach on anything and whatever you want to speak about. And that's on top of all the regular little catch-ups with team, with people, with should be It should be a patchwork quilt of people interactions of where you are helping folk to get better. You know, that's a manager's way. job. Hire the best people and get the best yeah.
0: out of them. That's your brief. It's really not that complicated.
1: It, and don't make your life difficult by trying to find the time and doing it. Put the time into the diary and then repeat that week, repeat that week, repeat that week, repeat that week. There you go. That is your job. It's now set up. You can now, again, like you're getting the seller to concentrate their brain and their time on doing the best for customers, it's repeatable. You don't have to reinvent it. You can concentrate your brain, your time on doing the best for your people but drive your results and through that. It
0: them. also means your people can plan around your timetable. <laughs> so they're not always bouncing one for the other. Okay, so... <sighs> Take us through the whole system of evolve um, in the uh, final furlong, then.
1: Sure. So it's—I uh, wouldn't say it's a process or a methodology. It's a framework. Now we're move against semantics a little bit here, but they're just ways for us to focus sheet in. Sorry. Feet music. Beat music. No feet music. Sheet music. Yeah. It, no, it's—it's it's just to get us thinking about the things that we need to do and embrace as professional salespeople if we're going to stay relevant. Okay, so EVOLVE is the model, gives an acronym. You know I love an acronym, so, so it's to do with a bad memory. But E is for essentials. It's the essentials for success. It's the basics. It's the foundations. It's the understanding what good selling is, what it isn't. It's taking the stuff that has worked in the past and still does, and it's jettening <laughs> jettisoning the absolute nonsense that somehow became Durigo when it did. Okay, so we have our foundations. We've got the essentials. We've talked about having to build in then a competence and you know being comfortable in working virtually. Yeah, so virtually. Video, using video live, sending video as well. Very powerful way of working. I'm going to include in that section social selling because we do need to put it somewhere and it just seems to make sense putting in it. And then we've only just started to touch on some of the AI stuff, and certainly some of the targeting and the heavy lifting and the, you know, the things that AI can do, and we'll continue to get better at. So then we've, we have talked about opportunity management as well. So it's really understanding that information, it's taking the data, it's synthesizing, it's working out what do I know, what do I not know, how can I use that, what my action is going to be? And this is all about getting into this position where we can lead customers leading customers. Fred, I thought you said you were not going back to the 80s. No, I'm not. This is servant leadership. It is guiding people. It's taking them through complex decision-making. Now, this actually manifests itself in two ways. One, it could be they're actually pretty expert buyers. They know their process. They're going to go through it. Don't try and deviate them from that. That's why they don't want to talk to you, because they're finding you annoying, dragging them back for needs analysis. Well, I know what it is. (laughs) I'm talking to you at this stage. Or it's, I ain't got a clue where I'm at. I don't buy this stuff every day, but I never have, probably never will. Help me, please. They don't kind of say it like that, but that's what's happening. So you've got to work out how you're going to lead and guide.
0: Well, uh, let me just intervene there as well. It is your obligation to lead them because they are not expert in this area yeah. and presumably you are or your organization is. Yeah. And it's far, far too easy for salespeople just to sell someone something
1: and it's not fit for purpose. And that's wrong. It, it, true. And, and this is where, again, we were talking about earlier where I said that even in the fundamentals I would be training this, that it's you're asking questions. It's for the customer's benefit. Yes, it's nice that you get something out of it because you understand them better and you can start to come up with the solution. But if you're too solution-focused, if you jump in it too quickly, you're missing the point of helping them to think. So that really starts to show itself in the leading piece. That's the L. And the second V is value sale. Now, for me, value sale is about helping people think. It's not, oh, I have a value proposition. I'm going to rock up. I'm going to damn well tell you the value you're going to get from me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the best way I've heard this described, and I, I just steal this with pride because it's just an elegant way. Mike, Mike Wilkinson talks about value is a mystery. It is a mystery. You've got to work out what it is with the customer. You know, this this, it conjures up in my head like images of Scooby Doo and the the mystery machine and all this, where you come up and it's usually the janitor, isn't it? And actually, it's a bit like that with establishing mystery with a customer. You've got a reasonable idea what it might be, you can't guarantee it. So you work with them to understand that. Yeah. So then we now get it. Now we can start to position what we can do. We can co create, we can do all the stuff, you know, resonate, substantiate, differentiate, all, all the good stuff we do in value sales which I think, is, I think it might have lost its way a little bit because people just are rocking up going, oh, this is a value problem. Marketing told me. So E-V-O-L-V, and then the E is expanding, which again we've touched on, which is about your account management stuff, is growing the business with people. It's the customer success management lessons we can take from to really focus on those outcomes and just be, you know, I, I had to put it somewhere, but look after yourself, to be in the best position to do all of these things. Because each of those involves a hell of a lot. You can take those to depths. You really can go deep, deep, deep on those. What I'm saying is we need to, to be modern, I believe, have a understanding and a competence in all. And then if you want to get better, 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 you can go deeper, deeper, deeper. This is really interesting
0: because I'm firmly of the belief, certainly enterprise is a team sport. Yeah. And there's your internal team. And what I'm really excited now because... In a relatively new client, we're now having weekly meetings specifically about uh, one target account with our strategic projects team who do all the deep dive research, our lead gen, our sales, our CS team, and our product team, and all focused on that one customer. So I'm very excited to see how that goes because I think part of hybrid selling is learning cross-departmental yep. collaboration. And what's very exciting about that is having all the different eyes on the same problem, turning up as a salesperson that well-informed and with questions formulated, with thinking that the yep. prospect probably has never come close to because they're so stuck in the weeds.
1: I, I, oh, yeah, well, I, I, brilliant. So, no, it is. It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from the drum analogy and I go with the jigsaw analogy, in that it's like all those people are rocking up with a piece of the jigsaw. Yeah. Now, the salesperson is the one that's kind of got the table that we're putting it on and an idea of what the box cover looks like, an idea. Yeah. So then they can take them. And actually, if that box cover starts to change, they are flexible enough to do that. But when we bring all that stuff together, w- what a powerful approach. It's not all down to that one person. Yes, you're at the sharp end and you're off on your lone wolf where working because we know that doesn't really, well, it isn't isn't going to be sustain, uh, sustainable. It is well-powerful, but it needs that understanding of not just the salesperson, but all the people that that's why we're doing this stuff. But this, again, requires patience, yeah.
0: And I, I see a distinct lack of it. I, I, I've slowed down a lot since I've <laughs> grown old. And it's partly a function of biology, but I'm always minded of that fabulous advert that Miriam Margolis was the voiceover of, of the Cadbury's caramel. Why the hurry, Mr. Rabbit? And I, I just see people buzzing around with so much haste getting in the way, slowing things down. And it, it it seems that the hurry is driven by okay pop quiz whose three core values were um
1: trust honesty and fairness oh i feel i should know that but i can't put my finger on it enron oh <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I there
0: picture is a some sales difference. trading work with
1: them, by the way. They turned me down. Yeah, good. <laughs>
0: there is a significant difference between having these values on the wall and living yeah. them. And I think part of this is I'm feeling this, I'm sensing a change, and I feel like we are definitely part of it. Where People are now moving away from the pure profit motive and shareholder value. I mean, even BlackRock is now forcing uh, that if you don't have um, a planet policy, you don't get uh, investment. Now, that's the biggest fund on the planet. And if they're saying it, everyone else is going to have to follow it. But I-, I think that there are so many organizations that are in a rush to try and get funding. Then they're in a rush to grow at an unholy rate without embedding any really solid foundations. I watched a wonderful uh, documentary on uh, the formation of Earth, and it was about Hawaii. And actually, there's one island in Hawaii that looks rather long, and it's it's slightly crescent-shaped. And it's because half the island literally sheared off and then fell into the ocean up to 220 miles away. That's how disastrous this was. Because the way the structure of the rock is formed um, is it's very, very strong, but very brittle. And then it crumbles, and you can literally just pick it apart. And this half the island just sheared off. And I think a lot of what's happening at the moment, you're seeing the same thing with the way people manage their pipeline. They spend so much time filling it with anybody instead of building solid foundations and strong relationships. And one of the things I love about the hybrid model, uh, particularly when you're selling ecosystem selling and ecosystem marketing, is you've got a dozen other companies who know you, trust you, working on your behalf, ear to the ground, looking at your, uh, your customers' or prospects' problems, through a slightly different lens. So they bring a fresh perspective every time. That puts you in such a strong position. So I'm really curious how you see the role of seller evolving in terms of its real salespeople's position within their customers.
1: So so you talked about your, your mantra earlier on. Mine is like good people doing good things in a good way. You know, so I think it's people who are good at heart, yeah, but also bloody good at what they do, yeah. And the things that they're doing are good because they are making a difference—difference difference to their company, difference to their customers, companies. And it's a good way because they've got a structure, they've got a way of operating. They're not running around, like say, headlessly and just happening to do stuff that's pretty good. So you know, I I, I see that. Oh, see, I don't know if, it's, if I want to see this, but maybe there's less salespeople. But the ones, and again, this is in, in the area that I tend to operate in, in the B2B or traditional stuff, complex. There's less, but they are very accomplished. You know, They really are the people that can pull in those different departments. People want to come and share that stuff in that meeting that you just said, because they know that this guy's going to use it, use it well, represent the company well. They're going to take it into the customers. The customers are thinking, this is brilliant. The reason that those statistics are saying, we don't speak to anyone, so we don't need to. We only want to speak to you because you feed us enough. In fact, you've got kind of to give us too much, and we've got so much to think about. You're so valuable. Where do you get all this stuff from? I get it from my team, and I'm happy to give that credit to the team. I, I Maybe this is, you know, fanciful, but actually, now, I know some people do kind of do this already. So that that's a brave if that If that's our future, that, that, is, that is an exciting future. So. It,
0: it is really, really exciting. Or you can essentially eat our dust those are the two options available to you. Because I, I suspect what's going to be really interesting is the turnover in the uh, Fortune 500, FTSE 350 of big tech um, who can't let go of what made them successful in the past and them being eaten alive. And I'd be really interested to see the shift in financial services in particular. A lot of these challenger banks are really... and. Um, uh, fintech companies are really offering fabulous deals. And there's one um, company in the US offering 8% interest. It's a crypto-backed fund, but it's, they're, they're paying 8% interest when you might get 0.3%. And they can do it because of the way they're uh, they're funded, the way they're structured. And large institutions are going to struggle. I, I'm really excited. I think we are at the cusp of a renaissance.
1: Isn't it interesting, those things you've said, and some of the other examples we've talked about too, somebody's just taken a step back, they've slowed down, they've thought about something, they've structured it in a way that can do something better, and now people go, hey, that's really good stuff, we want to talk to you. I mean, hopefully that's what the salesperson is going to be reflected in, and that's what we're saying, slow down, do stuff, do it better, and people will want to talk to you. That's where your business is coming from.
0: So let's talk about one final thing then, sales education. Um, who should deliver training?
1: Me. <laughs> Oprah Goldmacher, sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Right, a bit like the hybrid selling discussion, what is training <laughs> for a start? I mean, I prefer, and I think, well, I can't speak for you, but I know a lot of our colleagues prefer the term learning because yep. learning at least in, you know, implies doing something, mm. yeah. In fact, well, development then the is, person is, owns it. Is, is You well, don't yeah. learn someone, no, no, or even development, <laughs> you know, because then it's actually something you learned it. You're not have done it, but you're doing it, growing better. So you know, we, we get into semantics all the time. Who sh- who should deliver it? I mean, the, there's so many different people that can. So uh, can I give an answer as the best person to deliver it? Mm. And by that, so by that, I mean, if you're talking about a new framework, a new way of operating, some new thinking that's required to get people up to date because they're too far behind, joking apart, yes, it is someone like me. It's an external person whose job it is to understand this stuff, package it in a way that can make a difference and can start to do stuff fast. Mm-hmm. But any consultant that would then sell it in a way that you become dependent on, <laughs> you know, that is wrong. You know, every training engagement we should be able to step away from because it starts to bed in and take its own life. Because then the managers, and we're going back to that one, are taking the ownership and are kind of driving the new behaviors and helping people get their head around stuff. Yeah. So also, the individual has to take some responsibility on this. You know, I am starting to get a bit fed up of people who are really. Given a hell of a lot of stuff on a platter and they spurn it. Well, actually, you know what? I'm questioning myself whether I wanted to deliver like that. So, look, everyone has got some element of responsibility in it.
0: Well, I think that there's another massively untapped resource than the old maxim teach once, learn twice. I think peer to peer learning is yeah. massively undervalued and underimplemented. And the reinforcement that comes through managers' coaching. Uh, running many training sessions, having lunch lunch and learns. And I think that that whole learning culture is something that has, to a large extent, been lost because of the pursuit of the number. And organizations that learn like that, I mean, I I think of someone like Scott Lees. He's running um, five, six companies, and every one of his people gets 60 hours of cafeteria-based training based in 15-minute yeah, chunks. If they're struggling, the first thing he does is look at their learning log. And yeah, he. I think he's on his sixth uh, $200 million business. It, it's a smart move to mm. uh, have people who want to learn. And I think that's part of hybrid selling as well. It's that
1: appetite and curiosity.
0: And it has to be. But,
1: but that, that's characteristic that, that's that's kind of for a good salesperson. So yeah, I mean, you know, I I thought certainly over the last couple of years for time no uh, uh, of how to really make this kind of learning work because i've started to get a bit troubled about the way in which training is sold has been sold you know i'll hold my hands up i've been part and parcel of this you know selling as many days as we possibly can but really the impact that can have and who's it really benefiting, I'm starting to feel a bit uncomfortable with. And that's why, again, if you look at the technology and the things that we can do and how we can package stuff up, well, I've already mentioned some stuff that's in my training. Rocky's part of it. steps part of it. We deliver virtual because we can do it in shorter, more convenient things for people. Video, yeah, we'll back it all up with video. The, the, the cadence of it, so i put this into a 12-week program, is that we go week one, three, five, seven, nine, which is the input of new stuff which we immediately want you doing things. So take away that learning, go and do it in the real-life account, put it into Boxstep because you want to drive actual sales while we're learning, So I want stuff to fund itself. But then in the two, four, six, eight, that's where we've got the, the scheduled coaching, if you like, not, not the rocky stuff that people are doing, but it's back with you know, the facilitator, bringing what you've done, problems you've got, issues, how you're applying it, and discussing it with the cohort. So you are getting sort of two bites of the cherry of the new stuff, which is all com- you know, kind of compounding up and sort of feeding into. This is how we can really establish you a solid way of working. We do have to take, I think, take that and do it all because there's another thing I've seen in trading is when we say, "Oh yeah, the managers will take it. The managers will coach it hey. <laughs>
0: yeah it does yeah. it doesn't
1: happen basically it doesn't happen i can I can probably count on one hand the times that it's really, really worked that well. So actually we will take that so we can then control at least the outcomes of that and hopefully instill the right behaviors and get the right thing in place to give people a proper bump start that's why I call it an accelerator <laughs> you know an acceleration into into the stuff that we're doing. so can I tell you why I take I think I think trainers do have a place one thing
0: that you said. Say, say again. Can I tell you why I take extreme exception to one thing you said?
1: Well, it's your podcast. <laughs> what, what,
0: what, why would we take it away from the managers? Why would we not enable the managers and empower them to do that job? That is their bloody job. That, I, I think that's
1: tolerating non-performance and mollycoddling. It's probably the realist in me. It's that we 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 have to do something. Okay. We yes. can t- no, That I'm not saying that at the same time there could be something in parallel, which the managers are looking at what their people are doing and learning how these guys are learning, and then you know taking that away and adding an extra layer of coaching into the stuff that's doing anyway. But if, if we get too idealistic, then nothing will happen. So it's, let's do that. Let's package it. Let's put it in a way that we give the people some chance of, uh, of, of, that, of that, making a difference. That's where you've got to enough. start
0: with the management layer. We have to start with the managers. If you don't start with the managers, I, I found this when I had the training business. Yeah. Um, if you don't involve the managers, it just peters out. You get maybe two or three out of ten uh, will take some, to do something with it. Um, but to me, that seven out of ten failed. That I have failed, and I, I just grew tired of that. I don't see why we have to have those kind of numbers. People taking up the training and implementing it to see their performance improve. And surely that has to be the reason why we pay for trainers. We want to see the needle but move to the right.
1: Are we in danger of nothing ever happening then? Because yeah, I agree with you in the principle of training the managers, okay. But then I always think of a training colleague who used to say that if you want to train someone to climb a tree, it's best to start with a monkey rather than a fish. <laughs> now, if the managers are the equivalent of a fish, and it's actually they're not going to be ever able to do this, then we're trying to recruit the managers. Then, uh, yeah, but, the, but I'm the not talking people about people are training trying to actually sell methodology.
0: I'm, ta- I'm teaching. I'm saying teach them how to make coaching then management uh, operating style and uh, to then free up the time so that they can focus on training in the field, ride-alongs, windscreen training. Uh, They can coach what they see. They can uh, listen to recordings on gong, refract, chorus. They can do the higher value activities because they freed up the time because they're actually doing the job they're meant to be doing instead of low-value supervisory work, or worse still, upwardly delegated work where they're doing the job of the people they pay to
1: do the job. Agreed. I 100% agree. But the people that you're going to do that with, are they the fish trying to climb the tree, and that they are not cut out for that type of work?
0: Uh, what? So manager, like, like we talked about, what budget. does the new seller look
1: like? What does that manager look like? And you've got people who well, are in that position that can't well, do it because they like spreadsheets.
0: I often give managers a hard time, and justifiably so. But to give them their due, most of them, well, just slightly under half, there are 2.4 million accidental managers in the UK. So they woke up one morning, came in, and got told, congratulations, you're promoted. And they thought, oh, pay rise, 24p an hour, there you go. Uh, That was my daughter's pay rise uh, when she uh, she went from the checkout to supervisor, Uh 24 p an hour. So you've got all these people who are out of their depth. Well, why not put, you know, give them armbands and help oh, them? Because okay. they are the most pivotal people. I'm always looking for where can you apply the least amount of pressure for the most amount of leverage?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it just strikes me, fix that management layer, and then we can really bring the best out in our salespeople. Because now we've got time. We're not faffing around, stuck trying to do audit reports for finance. I want my managers out in the field with the salespeople. I want them coaching. I want them planning, strategizing. I want them building the bench. I'm recruiting uh, for a sales position at the moment. And I'm trying to populate the bench for the next uh, one or even two hires. That saves me three months of selling time. Fabulous. That's another 600 grand. It's insane not to do this stuff. And if you train managers properly, then they focus on the really high value stuff. So that's it. that's my, gri- my gripe, my
1: And unfair in that if the people in that position have been told that that's actually what a manager is, <laughs> yeah. then you know that that's that's we are probably being unfair on them and saying they're not doing it because I didn't even know I was supposed to. I'm coming at it from from that angle and I want to kind of impact the people who are actually doing this stuff. But yeah, I'm not going to argue that the managers can keep this stuff going and really reinforce it.
0: It was a Gartner study. You get a 36x higher return on investment from training if the managers coach for an hour per month per rep.
1: One hour per month per rep.
0: Yeah. Now, if you break it up into three and five and seven and four-minute intervals over the course of a month where you're picking out the stuff that you just train them in and say, I just spotted this, mm. and then you put them onto mobile practice and have them practice the skill, and then you can coach them, it's not difficult to do, and you free up so much time.
1: Yeah.
0: When, when, you, when you do this kind of stuff, you get another two and a half months back per manager. Now, that's yeah. stuff that they could actually spend on high-value activity, like yeah. recruiting better salespeople, developing the ones they've got, heaven forbid instead of firing them and replacing them with
1: more crap people. Yeah. Back to what we were saying earlier. So do you want 36X? Yes. Just open your diary. Right. What have you done? Things. Just do what, do what your agenda tells you to do. There's a funny color box in there. So I've got to go and talk to my people about them. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, I mean, I'm getting a bit facetious, but it's, it's then, nearly as you know, if you're really I here's some funky tools that you can start to use to make that conversation go way further. Yeah.
0: That, that Fred, was worth the price of admission. Because that's the most <laughs> elegant solution to the I don't have time for coach problem I have ever heard. Thank
1: you. There we on go. That right. On that note, the one minute inquisitor podcast. <laughs> 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 At least we made Excellent. the clip easy.
0: <laughs> so Fred, how can people get
1: hold of you? LinkedIn is is usually the best thing. I'm I'm on there regularly. Yeah, please connect me on that. If you if you've heard on this, yeah, you know, mention mention the podcast. Uh, yeah, just connect on that. That's the best. Excellent. And the name of your book. So which one? The new one. <laughs> so the new one is Hybrid Selling.
0: Excellent. Yeah. So if you haven't read Selling Through Partnering Skills, it's definitely worth a read. And uh, Hybrid Selling, fantastic book also. So Fred Coopstake, thank you very much. My pleasure. So this is Marcus Cowkey signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, subscribe, and tag someone who could do it understanding the evolved model, or maybe understanding that maybe they need to evolve into a hybrid seller or a hybrid manager, then if you, they want to get in touch with me, marcus at last And uh, if you're interested in probably 10 xing your business in the next 18 months, then drop me a line. Uh, however, expect a hard time. That's Marcus Kaki signing off. Happy selling. Bye-bye.